I come, the first time I ever heard that phrase, Minnesota Ice, it was my sister, my younger sister, Sarah. Her and her husband have a media company that they founded many years ago, and, and they meet with people from all around the country. And one of the things they started to hear over time was people would refer to this thing in Minnesota as Minnesota Ice. They said, you guys are friendly, you're friendly, but it's really hard to break in. You're really friendly. I'm seeing a lot of people nod. It's a lot. You're really friendly, but it's really hard to break in here. That's what they would call Minnesota ice. Well, just being nice is a pretty low bar, isn't it? Jesus calls us far beyond that. In fact, Jesus of Nazareth, he invited people to something he called the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God exists anywhere where we come under the rule and the reign of God. Well, there was an expert in the scriptures who once asked Jesus out of all of God's commands... Which one, he said, is the most important out of them all? Well, Jesus taught us to anchor our beliefs about God in the scriptures, and he answered this guy from the scriptures. He answered the guy's direct question from this quote in Deuteronomy 6, chapter 5. Jesus answered, the most important one is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So he answered the guy's question, but he didn't stop there. The guy answered, what's the most important commandment? Jesus continues, and he continues by quoting scripture. This is out of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 34. He says this, the second, thanks for asking, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. The expert in the law, after hearing this, he said, you're right, teacher. These are the most important commandments. And when Jesus saw that this guy answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You're not far from the kingdom of God. You're almost there. But what gets us from almost there to there, there? What gets us from Minnesota nice to truly being a welcoming people. Jesus said, you hear and put into practice. Let's talk about putting it into practice here today. Let's talk about becoming the kind of teammates that God has called us to be. And we'll begin our discussions here. If you have your note page, I encourage you to take that out. And let's write some things down, starting with this. Seeing and including individuals is Christianity 101. What's the most important commandment? Well, Jesus gave us two. He said, love God, love others. And you can't love others if you don't see and include others. In week one of this series, we introduced a tool that should also be in your bulletins there. It's this tool. It looks like this. Um, You can take this home as well as we have this in magnet form there and the resource table in the back. And what this is, is something where you see this as your house and you see these as your property lines. And it's a tool. You can say, how well do you know those around you? And when they've done studies on this kind of thing, they find that a remarkably small number of people can name all of their neighbors who share a property line. An even smaller percentage is something like 3% can give their name plus just a fact about them. And I think it's something like 1% that actually know the people who share a property line. Well, we're talking about teams today. And back in Bible times, most of the people on your teams were your neighbors. They were one in the same. Because you had to walk everywhere you'd, you'd go so that you'd be working with people who you lived near. If you, if you had an opportunity to have some kind of education, you were being educated with the people that you were around. The people living near you were your teammates as well. 
Well, in our culture, when it comes to work, a lot of people commute a lot of miles. When it comes to our schools, they don't just draw from one small neighborhood. They draw from many neighborhoods. And a lot of the teams that we're on draw from even bigger areas. So think of this, you guys. We have an opportunity. If we're going to be the kingdom bringers that God called us to be, we have an opportunity to be kingdom bringers beyond just people that share a property line. We have opportunity to be kingdom bringers into these teams. And I was thinking about why does this matter so much? Because we don't want to ever give a message that doesn't matter. This matters. Think about what the experience is for a lot of people on a lot of teams. Think about the person when a team lines up and they say, we're going to pick teams. And they start picking teams. I pick you, I pick you, I pick you, I pick you. And think what it feels like is that the number of candidates is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And there's that person who's left. Well, I guess I'll take you. We have an opportunity here in a world like that. How does it feel? Think about this. How does it feel to be one of those people where you are new to a team that's been around a long time? They've worked together. They've played together. They know each other. And you're the one coming into that. Think what that's like. We have an opportunity here to speak into that. How does it feel to join a team where your opinion doesn't seem to count or your ideas don't seem to matter or a team where no one seems to care about you as a person or your potential? There's an opportunity here. How does it feel to lead a team? Many of you have had this experience. You lead a team and you're asked to lead a team, but there's no culture of respect. Or, and, and your supervisors don't have you back. You know, think what, remember what that feels like. There's an opportunity here. How does it feel when there are members of your team who make things awkward? They escalate tension. They don't pull their weight. They even seem to be working against your team goals. There's an opportunity here. How does it feel when the team leader plays favorites? Or on the other extreme, when the team leader punches, ev- punishes everybody, punches. <laughs> How does that feel? It hurts. <laughs> How does it feel when the team leader punishes everyone because of a few knuckleheads? There's an opportunity there. Well, I want to show you something. For the last few years, we've been taking some people, some of our key leaders, to something called the Global Leadership Summit. And a couple years ago, one of the presenters challenged us to challenge the status quo when it came to how we think about our teams and how we think what really makes an effective evaluation. He said, if you want to find out whether or not your people on your team are positioned to thrive... He said, here are the eight questions for that. If you really want everyone on your team in their role to thrive, here's the eight questions. I'm only going to put six of them on the, up on the screen because take a look. Out of the eight, these six all have something in common. Look at this. This is from Mark, Marcus Buckingham's work. He's the guy that wrote Strength Finders with a team of others. Here are the six questions. At work, I clearly know what is expected of me. On my team, I'm surrounded by people who share my values. I have a chance to use my strengths every day at work. My teammates have my back. Number five, I know I will be recognized for excellent work. Number six, in my work, I am always challenged to grow. Six of those eight statements that will determine whether or not a person will thrive in their role on a team are directly related to what we wrote in number one, whether they are seen and included. These are things that matter. These are things that matter. Well, many, as many of you know, because I can never shut up about this, Laura and I were first experienced to authentic Christianity at a summer camp. 
and we were blessed. One of the reasons that stands out to us is little Camp Lutherdell is because we had a leader who understood this. His name was Roger Twido, and he was able to create an environment where every person was known and included. There were kids who came with friends. There were kids who came alone. Everyone was included. There were popular kids, and there were kids who really got picked on in their schools. Everyone was valuable. There were artistic kids and athletic kids and musical kids and introverted kids and extroverted kids and kids who got straight A's and kids who didn't get straight A's. And every one of them had a place at this camp. Well, Roger wasn't the first to do this. He was taking the example of Jesus and applying it to these kids. Jesus welcomed people in that others overlooked. And Jesus was able to bring out their God-given best. You've got Peter. He couldn't stand up to a servant's girl's questions, but he became the rock that helped found Jesus' church. You've got Paul. He once tried to wipe out Christianity, and yet he became Christianity's greatest evangelist. Mary Magdalene, she was once afflicted by seven demons. And she was used by God, among other women, to shatter the glass ceiling of discipleship. And when the Holy Spirit got poured out on the New Testament authors, they passed along revolutionary teachings about teams. How every one of us is part of a larger body. Every one of us has an important part to play. And if any part of our body suffers, what does the word say? We all suffer. Jesus said, when you experience the kingdom of God, you experience a team like that, it is like a treasure in a field. When we are seen and known and included, when we come together as a body to accomplish things that we couldn't have pulled off on our own, when the whole becomes greater than the sum of the parts, that is where some of our best memories are made. Well, the starting point for all that is seeing and including. And with the brief time we have, we're going to turn that statement into a question. There's a place to write that in your notes. How do we see and include individuals on our teams? That's what we want our focus point to be here. How do we see and include individuals on our teams? Well, this morning, we're going to zero in on a particular teaching from the Bible, and that's in the book of Mark, chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open with me to Mark, chapter 9. Actually, we're going to start with verse 30 here. Verse 30, work our way through 37. I want to let you know, too, if you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love for you to go home with one each and every uh, week. We keep a stack there on that table in the back. We encourage you to, to take one with, with you. All right, here we go. Mark chapter 9, starting with verse 30. Jesus and his disciples went on from there, and they passed through Galilee. And Jesus did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he's going to rise. But they didn't understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. Now, what Jesus was doing is he was leading with this thing that was amazing. He's contrasting the son of man in the hands of men. It's brilliant. The son of man takes them back to their sacred history. And there's this whole great storyline around that. And then into the hands of men is going to be the fulfillment of prophecy that brings us into how things ultimately will be as they should be. So there's this amazing teaching that Jesus is inviting them into. But they don't know anything about that because they're having a different conversation. Take a look at the conversation that they were having while Jesus wasn't inviting them into that conversation. Picking up right where we left off. Verse 33. And they came to Capernaum. 
And when he was in the house, he asked them, so, what was it that you were discussing along the way when you're all distracted? And they were like, uh. They kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Who was the greatest? And he sat down and he called the 12 and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be the last of all and the servant of all. all right, let's hit pause there for just a second. While Jesus was explaining that he was going to lay down his life for the sake of his team, they were arguing about who gets to ride shotgun in the victory parade. Jesus saw a teachable moment here. And so he did what great leaders do. He called a huddle. And what he did is he sat down because that was the posture that a, a person would take when they were about to teach. So he made it clear, I'm trying to tell you something here. So he sits down. He uses then this example. Let's pick up where we left off. He took a child and put the child in the midst of them. And taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Okay, so where was Jesus here? He was in a house, right? Who else was in that house? A little kid was in the house. Kids were around Jesus. And next week, Pastor Dan is going to pick up on this part of the passage. This whole part about welcoming kids and the significance of that, especially in that culture. I just want to say at this point, this is a church that is committed to kids, committed to young people. We want this to be a safe place where you are welcomed. We welcome your questions. We welcome your struggles. We welcome you. We want you here. We want to do the best we can to equip and give you opportunities to grow and to learn and to take on responsibilities. Well, Pastor Dan's taking that on next week because I'm going to be with Explore Membership Group. So here's your job next week. You got to say amen because I'm going to be down the hall. And you got to say amen loud enough for me to hear it down the hall. Right? Because amen. Because we're talking about kids next week. We're talking about teens next week. And you guys matter. So if Dan happens to say something like, our kids and our teens deserve our best. What do you say? Amen. Amen. That's right, you do. All right. So this week, what we're doing, though, is we're focusing on that thing that Jesus said about the greatest being the servant of all. It is so natural for us to do the opposite. It is so natural for us to take this spotlight and shine all of the spotlight on the greatest, right? To shine all of the spotlight on the all-star. That's what we do in our culture. And it's natural. But Jesus said, be careful when you do that. In fact, just a couple chapters later, chapter 12, verses 38 through 40, Jesus says, hey, do you see those religious leaders over there? The ones that, wherever the spotlight is, that's where they want to be? He said, don't be like them. And the very next verse, continuing that thought, he says, you see that widow over there? The one who's got a couple pennies? Putting them in the offering? He says, be like that. He takes this example where everyone's eyes are like this. He says, put your eyes over here. That's the kind of thing Jesus did. Well, this is fresh in my mind because we just saw an example of this playing out last weekend. Andrew had a soccer team, a soccer tournament last weekend. We were down in Iowa. And in game three, we had to face number 88. Number 88 was a force of nature, let me tell you. 
She was from the Chicago area. Man, she was tough. She was the best player on the field in every game she played. She was good. It's great to have an all-star on your team. If. Right? It's great to have an all-star on your team if. If you handle that well. If you don't handle that well, it can be a liability. Can I get an amen? You can have an all-star, and it can be a liability if you don't handle it well. We're going to come back to that in just a few minutes. But let's work our way there. And let's start by writing this down. If we want to see and include our teammates in a God-honoring way, here are four essentials. Number one, be proactive. Be proactive. We are called to love God. We're called to love our neighbors. And love is not passive. Can I get an amen to that? Love is not passive. In a fallen world, real community does not just happen. In a fallen world, team building, it takes team building. It takes intentionality. It takes commitment. It takes personal sacrifice, but it's worth it. Not long ago, I had a lunch with a very wise individual. And this very wise individual, his family just moved here from the West Coast. He and his family are in the process of looking for a church home. And as we're talking, he said this. He said, we realize as a family It's 65% us, and it's 35% the church. And I thought that is the most self-aware and healthiest thing I've ever heard come out of somebody's mouth. Can you imagine if on every team we were a part of, that was our attitude? Every time we were joining a team, or we're part of a team, we said, it is 65% me, it's 35% them. There's all kinds of reasons that that is brilliant. But one of them is this. If everyone on that team is saying, I'm going to focus on my 65%, what does that do to the 35%? We could melt a lot of ice if all of us took that kind of ownership. Well, these last three principles in your notes will help you crush your 65. Here's number two. Pray like Jesus. I am not being rhetorical with this. Pray like Jesus. A couple years ago, we did a whole series on prayer. Prayer is the greatest superpower that we forget we have. Amen. It's like Shazam not saying Shazam, right? It's just, it's like that. When we pray, we have access to wisdom and guidance, power that we wouldn't otherwise on our own. If we don't pray, How much of the 65% is on us? All of it. All of it. In the book of Mark, we see examples of Jesus praying regularly. We even see this. Take a look at this. This comes from Mark chapter 9, verse 29. And Jesus said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but, what? Prayer. How many of you, show of hands, have come across situations on your teams that seem seem impossible? All right, three of us, really? You got some awesome teams because every day it seems like that, right? There are times we come into these situations, it seems impossible. With God, all things are possible. And we access that as we pray. And we can pray for people who aren't praying. You know that, right? We can pray. And have you seen God move on people who are not praying? I've seen people move on God when people are not praying. I want to show you something else about this verse. Can we put it up on the screen for just one more second, Drew? It's found in Mark chapter 9, verse 29. Where is that address in relationship to the verses we've just been reading? 
It comes immediately before. Immediately before. Prayer matters. Pray for God to open your eyes as you're working with your teams. Pray for God to give you wisdom. Pray for God to bring you together as a team. Pray for God to give you success. Now, before we move on to number three, I want to show you something else. And this is a case where I wish everyone had their Bibles. If you do have it open, this is really good. Open up to to Mark chapter one. Mark chapter one. This is just so cool. In Mark chapter one, I I want to show you this theme that runs through it. All right? So we're not going to put this up on the screen because there's just be too many verses here. But if you have your Bibles, just kind of scan with me as I go through this. In Mark chapter 1, verse 7, we've got a man who was himself a fulfillment of the prophecy. We know of, of prophecy. We call him John the Baptist. And as great as he was, he points to Jesus as the one who is greater than him, of one who he says, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. In Mark 1, if we just go a little bit further, Mark 1, 11, Jesus is baptized. A voice is heard from heaven saying, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In verse 12, very next verse, Jesus goes off to go head to head with the devil. And guess who wins? Jesus. In verse 25, Jesus rebukes and casts out a demon. By the time we get to verse 32, and look at this for yourself, not making this up. This is only 32 verses in. People from all over town are bringing the sick and the oppressed to Jesus and he heals them. Before chapter 1 even ends, we are only in the first chapter. Before chapter 1 ends, Jesus is no longer able to enter a village because he's created such a buzz because of his greatness that people are coming from everywhere to see him. That's just chapter 1. Now do this. Scan just those big pictures. If you, if you can see a lot of times in our Bibles, it's got these headlines. Just look at the headlines and do this all the way to chapter 9. And you're going to find stuff like this. Jesus heals a paralytic. Jesus gathers disciples. Jesus teaches with wisdom and authority that amazes the crowds. Jesus points to scriptures that he is fulfilling. Jesus tells parables that are still applicable today. Jesus feeds more than 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Jesus even calms a storm and raises the dead. So all that comes before chapter 9. The disciples have seen most of this. We get to chapter 9, and they're arguing about who is the greatest. Mark is working really hard for the audience to see that there is one who's the greatest. Who is it? Jesus of Nazareth. And what does Jesus himself say? And what does Jesus himself teach? And what does Jesus himself model? He says, the greatest is the servant of all. This is the example he set. Now this brings us to number three. Use your unique position as an opportunity to serve. Jesus had a -a one-of-a-kind position. And he does all things well. And he served us by laying down his life, by becoming that perfect sacrifice on the cross. And every one of us is uniquely positioned to serve wherever we are. If you're on a team and God's calling you off that team, then gracefully transition out. But if you are on a team and you either have to be there or are supposed to be there, your call couldn't be clearer. Serve. Serve. Whatever your position, serve. Steward that 65% as well 
as you can, asking God to help you steward through it. Imagine if every leader of every team, raise your hand if you lead a team of some kind, all right? What if all of us, every time we came to work, we asked the question, how can I use my position to serve, to serve my team? How can I use my position to serve those who report to me? And imagine if everyone on a team, who here is on a team, all right? Everyone's got probably on some sort of team. Imagine if every person on a team came to work every day asking the question, how can I use my position to serve my peers and to serve those I report to? Can you imagine what a difference that would make? One of the best ways that we can make someone on our team feel welcome and included are these five words. How can I help you? Aren't those beautiful words? How can I help you? All right, I'm going to ask for another show of hands here. How many of you are 25 or younger? 25 or younger, raise your hands. All right, thank you. You can put them down. You guys, I want, to, I want to let you in on something secret here. You have a lane that is wider open than it's ever been in my lifetime. It used to be that when people got a job or people came onto a team, they had to work really hard to differentiate themselves because everyone was hungry. They wanted that job. They wanted that promotion. They wanted to do their best. There was something that just in our culture, they kind of said that American work ethic that we used to have, right? Where we'd say, okay, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to bring my best. I'm going to be, I'm going to rise to the top. Okay. Supervisors, managers, are we seeing that these days? They are writing, they, people are paying thousands and thousands of millions of dollars to try to retrain their supervisors to say, what do we do now? Because people are coming and it's like they don't care. If you learn how to be a great teammate, your fast track to success has never been easier. Learn how to be a great teammate. And for those of us who lead stuff, we have this opportunity. You're going to be hearing more about this in the, in the weeks to come. I am just blown away that God's entrusting us with this. That thing I referenced earlier called the Global Leadership Summit, we got asked to host a site that has a thousand seats. The closest other site to this is it's either Elk River or Minnetonka or Hastings. We're asked to host this thing. This is something 400,000 leaders are going to be either attending this um, live or in satellites in 130 countries around the world. And we have an opportunity as a church to do this. And we're going to have totally discounted rates. We're going to be able to offer all of these. You want to be a part of this. Here's just some of the, the teachings that's going to come in this thing. Again, you're going to hear a lot more of this. Write these dates down, August 8 through 9. You know, Building a life of purpose, passion, impact, conquering the fear of rejection, unlocking the leadership potential of each generation, creating a culture of effective and happy teams, negotiating strategies for the workplace, business, and home, leading a life of courage, kindness, and resilience. Can you imagine if all of us got better at these kind of things? This is a huge opportunity. Save the date and stay tuned on that. Well, I have to wrap up soon. Before I do, we've got to go here. Number four, we've got to go here. Beware of what? Beware of pride. Beware of pride. What's at the center of pride? We've talked about this before. The letter I. Letter I is at the center of pride. What happens to a team 
when everyone's focused on themselves. Bad things, right? Bad things. Well, if you have your Bible with you, look at what comes immediately after the passage we just looked at today. Right after, right after this happens. We left off in Mark 9.37. Here's what happens beginning with Mark 9.38. John, not John the Baptist, another guy named John, one of the disciples named John. John, right after this, right after Jesus sat them down. The greatest is the servant, right? Lay down your life for other people. Yeah, he's, he's just been coaching him on this. The very next thing we read in the book of Mark is John and the other disciples go out. They see some other people who are trying to do what Jesus did and they shut it down because they're like, they're not with us. They're not one of us. And so Jesus has to reprimand them and say, what are you doing? What are you doing? That comes right after this. When we take our eyes off Jesus, pun intended, it is not long before pride takes us off track. I want to read this next section because this happens right after that, almost right after that, in the very next chapter anyway. If we turn to the next chapter, chapter 10, verses 35 through 37, after getting sat down, after getting reprimanded, look at this, and James and John, who just got called out for this, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. All right, every parent, every leader, you know better, right, than this? Hey, mom, dad, will you give me whatever I ask? Sure, here's your blank check. No, we never do that. That's one of the foolish things you Okay, so they say, well, and so Jesus wisely says, what do you want me to do for you? And they ask him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. It does not take long, does it? Before we get back on that greatness thing. Where we want it to be all about us. John had just got called out for thinking of himself more highly than he ought. Now, he and his brother, they're making the run at the corner office before the others get there. Well, what do you think that did to the rest of the team? Here's what it did to the rest of the team. Picking up with verse 41. And the ten heard it, and they were indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him, and he said... You know that those who are considered the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. Jesus says, what John and James just did here is normal. This is normal, but normal is broken. So Jesus goes on to cast a bigger vision, a grander vision. Verse 43, but it shall not be so among you. That's normal. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, to be served, not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. All right, well, I mentioned we come back to number 88 at the close of our message. We're at the close, so here it is. Number 88, refresher, because that was so long ago. She was the best player that we came up against in that soccer tournament in Iowa. But here's what got lost in the shadow as the spotlight was on number 88. What got lost in the shadow is the fact that she had a team of some really good players. She had some really good players on her team. Her teammates had lots of speed. They had crisp and accurate passes. It was clear that they understood the game. They would just zip that ball all the way down 
to our net. And then they'd give it to 88. And then they'd all kind of stand back and let 88 try to score. And it appeared to be that was the coach's strategy as he was getting unraveled as the game went on. Now, here's why this was so significant. At this point in the tournament, we were the only thing standing between them and the championship. And it wasn't one of those, they had, to, they had, like, it was either us or them. We had already statistically been eliminated. They just had to beat us bad. And they should have, because they beat the team that we tied by six. So coming into that game, they should have been able to beat us. Here's the thing. We lost that game 0-1. They got knocked out of the tournament. We felt sorry for them. We lost the game and we felt sorry for their team. Because we watched as everyone on their team is just getting frustrated. We watched as their coach got more and more unhinged as the game went on. We watched as these great team players were just ignored. And what a contrast that was to what we saw happen with our little team. And as I was putting this together, I'm like, thank you, Lord, for this object lesson that as I'm working on this message, I'm like, oh, that was this. What we experienced on our team were all these things we're talking about, except only a couple of us were praying. We got quite a few Christians on that team. But look at this, all of those things, starting with the fact of our soccer club. The soccer club we're a part of is rewriting their whole mission and vision statement. To say, yep, we still want our kids to be the best they possibly can be. And we want to provide a place for them to belong. Every player, we're going to find a place for every player. And then with our coaches, Coach Jill and Coach Matt. They care about every one of our players. Do they want to win? Absolutely, especially Matt. You know? But they all want to win. But what they're doing is they sit down. They sit down with each of our players as individuals. Individual conversations. Tell me about you. What do you think your strengths are? Here are some of the things that we see in you. We've got these great managers, Paul and Alicia, and, and they do things, go the extra mile to make sure we are well communicated with. They even rented in the tournament, they rented this um, pavilion where our whole team could come and we could have Chipotle together, right? And then they said, oh, one of those guys on our team, he's a camp guy, so they asked me to do all these mixers and team builders. And we had a blast having our parents and our teens and all this kind of stuff playing. And our parents, our parents, we know that we're not the coaches Parents, remember, you're not the coach unless you are the coach. <laughs> Don't tweet that one out. <laughs> Here's what our pastor said. He's so smart. <laughs> but another thing that we're seeing with our parents is they're trying to do this. They're intentionally trying to get to know the other parents. You're there anyway, so don't do this. You don't do this, right? And then we've got our players. So proud of our girls. They respect the coaches. They respect one another. When these things are applied, it makes a difference. One of our sets of parents um, grew up in Iowa, and then they became transplanted up here to the land of Minnesota ice. And I'm not making this up. She comes up to me, and Laura, and she's, her eyes are getting misty. And she just says, I've never experienced anything like this before. This is the best experience I've ever had in competitive soccer. These things make a difference. So let's pray and commit ourselves to that end. Would you please stand? Let me pray a blessing over all of us. Let's pray.